Hey, Cheers is filmed before a live studio audience. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. You are listening to the Always Be Watching podcast. My name, Dan Barrett, joined by... Chris Yates. Great to be here. Chris, it is a nostalgic occasion, really. It and is. It is. I don't know about you, but I've been experiencing a great deal of nostalgia in my life. Yes. Okay, like it just sort of seems like 2020, a year where, you know, I mean, suddenly for the last six months or whatever it's been now, we've largely been keeping to ourselves and not really going outside and seeing the world and like experiencing new things. I do feel that this year I have fallen into this trap of re-watching a lot of my old favorite movies. And that isn't helped by the fact that when I go to the movies, like the cinemas are open again, all that I'm really interested in seeing is like old classics that I've seen before on a big screen. And in fairness, like all the new films kind of suck, except for Tenet, which is amazing. Uh, but outside of Tenet, like it's just been old movies I've been watching and enjoying. So that's been great. But also, it just sort of seems like all the streaming services seem to finally be dredging up some of my old favorite shows and shows that may not necessarily be favorites, but things that I've enjoyed in the past. Like on Stan in Australia, there's Spin City, for example. I mean, Spin City's nobody's favorite show, <laughs> but it's certainly something I've been watching. And we'll talk more about that in a little while. Uh, but also, like, I'm a big comic book guy. And it just sort of seems like over the last, uh, like, year, all the comics, like my favorite comics have all been released in like these hardcover formats, which allow me to sort of keep it on a shelf for, you know, years to come. And so I've got like this sort of thing where I'm just like rereading all the stuff I've enjoyed over the last 20 to 30 years. I'm watching stuff that I've been enjoying over the last, you know, 30 to 40 years, and I'm not experiencing anything new. And this week's episode of Always Be Watching does not change things because all we're doing is thriving in nostalgia. Absolutely. Look, I think it's something I've probably come to terms with the fact that I've been guilty of for a lot of my life. I, I, I think that there's always been, I remember when I was 20 being nostalgic for the things that I enjoyed when I was 10, you know, so I, it's not a particularly new thing. I think we're both people that do seek out new stuff. But um, when there is such a plethora of nostalgic content at our fingertips, it's sometimes hard to avoid. It's interesting you said that about comics because the same thing is kind of happening with, um, you know, with records and with music. And there's a lot of, you know, every great album that's ever been released has been re-released in the last 12 months on vinyl with a, you know, nice new package and extra features and what, what, whatever else comes along with these things. So, um, yeah, I, I feel like it's definitely not just us and there is a cultural move towards this um and and it's probably got a lot to, you know the, the COVID has definitely sped that up and accelerated that like it has so many other things this week chris and sorry i should have explained what we do here on the podcast which is that we wax lyrical about years gone by but also <laughs> we talk about the things that we've been watching um so this week and the idea of it is and the standard like line that i give is you're hanging out with the mates he says hey what have you been watching lately you have the conversation We've all had those conversations, and this podcast is really capturing the spirit of that. So, Chris, we've got four things we're talking about this week, plus some additional sort of adjuncts along the way, because that's how we roll on the podcast. Primarily, we're going to talk about Bill and Ted Face the Music, a film which is doing nothing but mining our love for Bill and Ted from years gone by. Absolutely. Uh, we're also going to talk about the, and this is a new thing, a uh, Netflix series called Away, but as you're going to find when I talk about Away, Away is a show that, sure, it may be new on the surface, but when you start getting a little bit deeper, it feels very familiar. Uh, we're also going to talk about a show from, you know, my heart, from your heart, and from yesteryear, 
called Cheers. <laughs> you know, it's nothing but the newest content here on Always Be Watching. And then we're going to wrap things up with a, a new series, which is, it's not quite new, but it's newish. Uh, mining Chris's love for the Karate Kid. It's called Cobra Kai. Yes, it's a lot of old, new things. New, old things. How does that work? Look, absolutely. Shall we kick things off with Chris? What number am I thinking of? 13. Uh, the answer was either one, which is where my cue is right now, or 69, dude. <laughs> How far into our future do you think we got to go? Depends on when we think we wrote that song. Let's be conservative. Say two years? Sounds good, Ted. Then once we get the song, we'll go back home to right before we left. And then what? Unite the world? Save reality, dude. Yeah, my friend. Yes, Ted, my friend. I have a feeling things are about to change in a most outstanding way. I could not agree more. Chris Yates, Villain's Head. First of all, I guess maybe my question to you before we talk about this film specifically. What is your relationship to both uh, William Preston as well as um, Theodore Logan? Well, I had, um, you know, I watched Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure uh, when it came out, which was, you know, 1989. I was in my first year of high school. I was just learning how to play the guitar, just learning about heavy metal music. Uh, so suffice to say, it has a very, it's, it's always held a very um, warm place in my heart. Um, I've watched it a lot of, you know, I've watched it a lot over the, over the last sort of 20 years. Um, so I was pretty familiar with it and I realized that I was already across the idea that it didn't quite, um, you know, it didn't quite mean as much to me as what it did in those days, but I've always loved the mood and the themes and the idea of it. You know, it's been interesting revisiting it recently for, for reasons like, you know, when George Carlin passed, it was a good opportunity to kind of go back and go, oh, wow, that's right. He did this crazy thing. Um, and, 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 you know, it's always kind of felt relevant somehow still. Yeah. Look, I was nine years old when the first one came out, um, which, you know, that was probably on the cusp of being like the right age for it. So like nine to 15 is probably that sweet spot for totally. one's head. Yeah. And so saw that uh, Bogus Journey came out in what, 91? Yeah, 91. 91. So, you know, obviously like I was the right age for it. But also, I'd say that while Bill and Ted and Bogus Journey were suddenly films that I really enjoyed at the time, a little film came along in 1992 called Wayne's World. Yes. 92, 93? 92. Wayne's World came along, and that really captured my heart. And they're certainly not the same movie by any sort of means, but they're also two films aimed at the exact same audience yes. with a very sort of similar temperament to them. But I honestly think Wayne's World, superior movie in so many ways, and that's what captured my heart. So I was, from that point on, from 92 onwards, my heart belonged to Wayne's World and Bill and Ted. It's like, Bill and Ted, who are Bill and Ted? And I think I've kind of kept that ever since then. I've seen Bill and Ted and the sequel a couple of times since then, but it's not something that I've really revisited. Up until this last week, and I've watched all three in the last, like, three consecutive nights, and I have to say... I kind of didn't really like them that much. I like the spirit and the idea of them, but the actual execution and the act of sitting down watching it, it felt very hollow and empty. So when I reached number three, and I'd been told that it very much captured the spirit of the first two, 
And, it, and not necessarily I, the, the most, you know, which is not the most necessarily positive no, thing to say about it. No, no, but also it's not really bad. And this film, like, it's certainly of a piece with the other two. Yeah. And it's not like they've, like, screwed it up badly with the third one. If anything, the third one is definitely the, probably the best of the three. Yeah. Um, there's certainly elements of Bogus Journey I think I prefer more than anything else. But of the three, as a complete movie, this new one is probably the best of the lot. But I still found it a little bit of a hollow, unengaging experience while still enjoying it quite a bit while I was watching all three. Yeah, I know what you mean. I guess one of the things about this for me is that it's loaded with, it was very hard to not come loaded with the expectation. You know, we've had, it's been talked about, the, the actual idea of a third Bill and Ted movie has been talked about for a very long time. Uh, you know, Look, absolutely. Like the last year and a half, they've been talking about making this movie. Like it kind of came out of nowhere. They said, look, we're actually doing this. And then it actually went into production. And I always said to people, look, I'm not going to actually believe that this movie exists <laughs> until I'm sitting in a cinema. And even then, it's going to be when a credits roll that I really believe that this exists. And interestingly, like I think back in the early days, I always assumed that it was because, um, because Keanu didn't want to do another one. But, you know, he was a very big proponent in trying to get this made. And I think it was because of his sort of passion for it and because of the, you know, love around Keanu at the moment. Um, that it was actually able to happen. You know, it's funny that Keanu is kind of occupying this space now where he seems to be, um, you know, every other day there's a clickbait article about um, Keanu feeding homeless people or Keanu um, saving orphans from burning down orphanages and stuff. And, you know, the, the, he's, he's sort of been lionised a little bit as a, you know, a, a, I guess just because he's not a complete jerk in this position, in this, in his position of power in Hollywood um, that, you know, I feel like there's a lot of love for Keanu. So I can see why it, it was the right sort of time to get this happening and to get this made. But And like, it's funny because it went from the sad Keanu meme to like within about 18 months, suddenly Keanu being just the most beloved person. On the I know planet. it was really odd. And, you know, you know, in that time too, he did those Squarespace ads, which were really annoying. And he hasn't done a lot of like, you know, really, there's been nothing that I've gotten really excited about from him from a movie perspective for a while. So, you know, it was great to see, it was great to see this. I think they did some, you're not a John Wick guy. Yeah. I'm not a John Wick guy, but, um, cause they are wildly entertaining. I'm sure they are. I, I will get there one day. Um, he was also in that Netflix film playing himself. Uh, I can't think of the actual name of the movie. Mm. It was the one with Randall Parks and um, that comedian, uh, Wong, Ali Wong. Oh, yeah, right. I don't even know what you're talking yeah. about. I'll have to check that out. Um, you should check it out. Like, it's, it's a pretty fun character. I love Keanu playing himself. I re when we started doing the podcast again, I, I rewatched all the Matrix movies, which was amazing. And, like, you know, just like really, well, two out of three were amazing, but it really blew my mind about how, <laughs> you know, you, you kind of forget about Keanu and just how big a part he's been of, 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 you know, that really top end Hollywood stuff for most of our lives. Um, and, like I say, not being a jerk about it. So it's, it's kind of really interesting. It's a really interesting thing. I totally agree that the tone's the same. Sorry, quickly, favorite Keanu film? Point break. But, you know, yeah, <laughs> that's kind of unfair to all other movies, really, <laughs> that it's even in that in that sphere. And I guess my own private Idaho, just to show how high, how highbrow I can also be, would probably be my second. Oh, well, aren't you fancy? My second favorite. But I mean, I've watched that movie so many times. So, you know, there's like, you know, he's got a big place. I think you're so right. Like, it's not a hilarious film. None of them are really hilarious. They're very cute. I think it's a good way to describe it. And they're very... um. They're very, uh, you know, they've got this, they've always got a, a naivety about them and a, an optimism about them that's that's really interesting. I love those ideas at this point that you know, if if only there was a song or something that could bring the world together, uh, that that seems like something we kind of need right now, much more so than even in when you know in '92 when um, 
when Bogus Journey came out. Um, a couple of little things. I really loved the. Um, I really loved how Kid Cudi was the featured musician in it. Cudi's not really that big in Australia. I think a lot, he's quite a quite a big deal in America, and I don't think he's ever really crossed over that much here, as other than doing stuff with Kanye. But this guy's a really interesting musician. You know, he's a kind of he's known for his he's in the rap game and he's in that sort of world, but he's also known for his being very honest about mental health issues. And, and he's a, he's a producer and he's a musician and he's, you know, he kind of embodies that spirit of Bill and Ted in a really actor, great way. He's, he's an actor as well. And he's an actor as so, well. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. he was one of the supporting cast and how to make it in America, which we talked about on the show a couple of months ago. And yeah, like he pops up here. And yeah. There. And he's great. And I just thought he was such a great, uh, you know, he was so such a great kind of uh, ambassador for Bill and Ted in the modern age. Uh, that was really cool. I, you know, I loved the. T- also, n- sorry, not to ruin the joke, but the film actually has one of my. F- Last week, I talked about one of my favorite types of jokes, which is <laughs> when people are having an intimate conversation and then suddenly it pulls back and you realize there's a whole bunch of people watching and it's really inappropriate. I love that joke, but I also love the joke, which always comes from celebrity cameos, where the celebrity who's just there in the background suddenly, like out of nowhere, reveals that they know a great deal about physics or something <laughs> to do with, you know, in this instance, the space time continuum and the science that registers behind that. And Kid Cudi delivers on that as well. Not to ruin that joke, but also I want people to know that, yes, that joke, which you knew was coming, is definitely there. And the execution of it is chef's kiss. <laughs> it's perfect. There's a lot of, there was a bunch of stuff I really liked about it. You know, um, I, I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed the, the um, performance by Keanu's dad, the actor of which I don't know his name at all. But, um, you know, it was great to see him come back because he was so funny in Bogus Journey when he got possessed. And then, you know, he has this great sort of, he's the overbearing military kind of dad, uh, which I just thought was excellent. And it was great to see him come back, back at it again. And it was great to see the, um, the Missy, is it? the um, Yeah, Missy. <laughs> it, was, it was really, really funny as well. There, there was a lot of those little nods. But then, I, I, you know, the way that it borrowed from, you know, the, the way that it used the sort of storyline from the first movie where they were collecting all the historical figures, except this time they were collecting all the figures to, to make a band was just really clever um, and a really good use of the sort of format for Bill and Ted and, and why that worked. And it reminded me how fun that was in the first movie, you know, seeing all these historical figures all doing the stupid fish out of water stuff. And, you know, it's probably the first time I'd seen that kind of done really well in a comedy when I first watched it as a kid. So having that sort of idea revisited was really good. Look, it's hard to kind of be, it's hard to be objective about it. And it's hard to say, like, I think we've both been so non-committal in that, you know, we both, this is not a fantastic movie. It's not even a hilarious movie, but it's really, it's really lovely. It's really nice to watch. And it's really great that it's been done in this way. That sort of is true to the legacy of the film and the, and these characters, even if that legacy itself isn't much more than just a bit of fun. Yeah, so I think it's maybe talk about the casting of it. It's a little bit interesting. So if you go back and watch the first two Bill and Ted movies, there's something about the cast where nobody outside of Keanu and Alex Winter really made it. Yeah. Like essentially these actors where if you go to the IMDb of the majority of people, it's pretty much Bill and Ted is the first credit on like IMDb, which usually talks about the biggest credit that they've had. So there's not necessarily a great deal of um, like talent that you can sort of pull off the bench again. But they did bring back the guy that played um, uh, Theodore, uh, Ted's dad, uh, but also uh, Missy. But then they recast the princesses, and I I was a little bit annoyed by the recasting of the princesses because they brought in Aaron Hayes and Jamie Mays, who are two female actors, both play around in the comedy space quite a fair bit, 
And both of them are fantastic, but they're completely wasted in this movie. They give her no good moments. Like, it's just kind of, they're there as... Like, they didn't even really need to bring an acting A-game. So they may as well have just cast the old princesses and brought them back. There's no reason why you needed to suddenly upgrade them to, you know... Yeah, they didn't have a lot of comedy to work with, that's for sure. They were sort of just like... They were just there to deliver the lines and to get that the mechanics of the script through, really, right? Yeah, and Ted's brother, the character was back, even though it was like a different actor. And like he had maybe once two lines, like just bring back the kid. Like that would have been a great sort of uh, fun thing if they could have done it. Like maybe that kid didn't want to come back and do it. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. But even so, it just kind of felt strange. Like the actor was given so little to do. You might as well just had someone who wasn't on screen for the last 20, 30 years. Like why not? Uh, there's a few other sort of wasted things. So Holland Taylor is there playing the great leader. And like... Why even have someone as great as Holland Taylor in a role? Because, again, they gave her nothing to do. Uh, the big absence, I think, you don't have George Carlin in the film for obvious reasons that, you know, he died. Uh, there is a hologram sequence with him. But even so, like, it just kind of felt like that was really missing. There was something about the heart and soul of the movie that was kind of a little bit absent by not having him there. I did read that there was issues with that. They had some footage that they were going to try to use, but um, I can't remember what the exact issue was, but they had, did have a scene where... Um, they were going to be interacting with George Carlin from with footage that they had not used um, from the second movie. But I can't remember the exact details, but there was some reason why technically they couldn't get it to gel and couldn't get it to work. So that's why they sort of relied. That's why they turned it down into that um, hologram. Yeah. This definitely was a film on a budget. So apparently it was originally intended that Bill and Ted would go and meet their junior selves. So like the versions <laughs> of them that we've definitely like grown up and seen <laughs> in two movies already. Uh, which would have been amazing, but just purely in terms of budget and, you know, what that's required. Yeah. You know, it just wasn't going to happen. And, you know, and it's yeah. a, another thing that adds to the charm and kind of stuff of these films is that they are clearly, you know, the first one was very low budget. And I think I think they had probably had a bit more with the second one and you can sort of see it in the terrible effects and the way that it worked. But the, yeah, I, I you know, I liked that. I liked that about this one, that it wasn't some big overblown um, massive thing and that it actually still kind of came across as a pretty, pretty, Pretty small-scale film, you know. It did feel pretty lo-fi. <laughs> uh, we've got William Sadler back again as Death. Amazing. And, like, he was definitely one of the highlights from uh, Bogus. We didn't get Station, which surprised me a little bit. I thought there'd be, like, a brief Station cameo. There was only, one, there was like, even only one Station reference, which I thought, you know, considering I spent most yeah. of my 20s yelling Station at people, I thought that that would, that would maybe feature a little bit. But maybe that was just me. And there were God knows how many punk bands that were named Station, I'm sure, <laughs> out of uh, tributes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but these two casts that we probably really need to talk about here is Samara Weaving, uh, who's Astro sorry Australia's own Samara Weaving. Australia's uh, own. And she's there playing, uh, they called her, was it Thea? Although I think that name is pronounced Tay. Taya, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and also uh, an actress who I didn't know, Bridger Lundy Payne, uh, who plays Billy. And both of them... Fantastic. I yeah, was, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was completely spin with all of it. And the way that they did that, I thought was really good. And especially like, you know, it wasn't even really a twist, but it was it was so late in the piece. It was only about a week before the movie came out that I remember reading that, you know, that, you know, you assumed they had sons, but they didn't, you know, and it was kind of a really cool idea, I think, and a great way to do that. And, you know, they did such a great job of still kind of being themselves, but, you know, channeling that insane goofiness that these and and sense of just like idiocy that these guys project i think they did a really good job of that well like lundy Payne, like she like there's something about like her facial mannerisms where she really is capturing on like 1989's keanu reeves perfectly like she does this sort of facial <laughs> yeah. tw like twitch which like i'm looking at a guy she's nailed it completely it is an amazing performance 
And Samara Weaving, I think, doesn't really get anywhere near enough credit. I've seen her on a couple of things, and every time she brings a different type of performance to it. And in this one, it's completely note perfect, but it's so totally removed from the last thing I saw her in, which is this really sort of fun horror film called Ready or Not. If you've ever come, like, if you ever get the chance to watch Ready or Not, do that. Like, it is ridiculous fun, and like, she carries this movie completely. Yeah, wow. Yeah, no, it's, it's great. I really, I really enjoyed all that about it. And I, I was wondering when I was watching it back, you know, like, could it be a laugh fest? And I don't even know if there's a way that you could make a movie like this be true, be really hilarious. Like, they're trying to cover so much ground story-wise in this ridiculous kind of way. Um, you know, the, the, the opportunities for comedy that were there, I think, were done pretty well. Like, the future, you know, the future selves and, and all that kind of stuff were, were very funny you know variations of how these guys could could turn out if things went horribly wrong um and i also love the idea that despite the great you know the great success actually this is something i wanted to ask you that, that all the stuff with like def um starting his own band and you know <laughs> yeah all, doing the bass things so like, the way i recall it because i didn't watch bogus journey again um before watching the movie but I, in my memory that's all just stuff that happens in that sort of like end credits um, newspaper stuff that they run up, you know, like where they're kind of giving you all the story. Like, I feel like that was, is that where that was drawn from or am I getting confused there? Look, honestly, I'm not entirely sure because I don't think I sat through the credits to realise that they were all the newspapers. <laughs> oh, no, no, sorry, they were the newspapers. I don't remember seeing the stuff about death. I feel like that's where they kind of pulled that. Like, I feel like they were really kind of mining that stuff to make this little, the little thread of why that, you know, death had drifted away from them in their band and stuff, which I just thought was really, really funny and really great. Yeah, no, I, I totally, yeah. Uh, like, I think that worked perfectly. So anyway, I mean, everybody who's going to want to see Bill and Ted's, um, Bill and Ted Face the Music is going to see it, right? <laughs> I, don't uh, think we're gonna... I mean, I'd imagine they probably already have. Yeah. So it came out in the US, uh, like, two weeks ago now. Um, in cinemas. It was kind of like the first film back. Uh, but then in Australia, we got it over the weekend for Father's Day, and then it comes out in wide release, I think, on Thursday. And we're talking about okay, this on right. Wednesday, just before it comes out. Yeah, cool. So, I mean, I'm sure it will um, definitely... I can't see anybody being massively disappointed in it if they were a, if they were a big Bill & Ted fan. I, I really do think it ticks all the boxes that you could want. And yeah. especially if you If anything, you've got it's going to find new fans. Yeah, absolutely. And and if you're... Especially if you've got a really... You know, if you've got an accurate recollection of the films and you've watched them sometimes since they came out and you're kind of a, a bit, being a bit of a realist about them. But yeah, God, it was such a treat. It was just such a treat to see it. It's one of these weird things that like... You know, like we were saying at the start, I never really, never really expected to see it again. And then with so many of these things, we do finally get to that point where we see it. It's a massive disappointment or they try to do something really messed up with it and take it in a new direction. And I'm just, I'm just so relieved that they didn't do that. And I think that, um, yeah, that it's a success in all the ways it could have been. Yeah, there is a slight new direction in it, but not really in a way that I think upsets the villain's head mythos. No, not at all. And, you know, like it's, it's um, definitely got its heart in the right place and it's trying to, you know, it's trying to make the world a better place, Dan. That's all we can yeah. ask for at this point, I think. What a bunch of dirtbags. Hey, Chris, let's move on. <laughs> let's talk about the new Netflix series, Away. You don't have to put that away. No homework at dinner. No cell phone at dinner. Nice try, though. Here's a math question for you. Okay. Is there really a 50-50 chance you'll die? Lex, journalists, they seem to be provocative. They're trying Honey, to... Honey, I'm going to be working with people like your dad. You know, the smartest, 
engineers and scientists in the world. Yes, there are risks with the job. You know, space is... I'm not going to let anything happen to your mom, sweetie. I know every inch of that ship, and I'm going to be right there. Mission control isn't right there. You're right. It isn't. And, um, there is always a chance that, you know, that I don't make it. So, Away, this is a brand new series that's launched on Netflix over the last week. It stars Hilary Swank as Emma Green. She's an American astronaut who's in charge of a uh, multinational um, space effort to be the first mancraft to go to the moon, uh, go to Mars. So you've got her, you've got some people from various other countries, uh, you've got a Chinese, uh, it's not an astronaut in Chinese, I think they call it like a talkernaut or something. Mm. I'm trying to remember what the actual term is they use there. Uh, but then obviously you've got a Russian cosmonaut, you've got a uh, British guy, uh, you've got a guy from India, you know, it's, uh, you know, the world's come together to send this craft of people up there, but you don't just have that storyline, you've also got Emma's family back on Earth. And so while she's there, you know, being a pioneer, female explorer out there, you know, doing her thing, the question the show is asking is, can somebody be a trailblazing female astronaut and have a family? Can they have it all? And when you think about the show that way, like that is such a trashy, awful sort of approach to the show. But <laughs> at the same time, you've also got Josh Charles playing the husband at home. And any show that's going to have Josh Charles in it, suddenly I'm there for that. And I find it a bit hard to really... I'd be aggrieved too much at the idea that I'm mixing in like her home life as well as her space life. Uh, Josh Charles' character, his name's Matt Logan, and he's also an astronaut who had been training to be involved in the same space mission, but because he's got some physical problems, you know, he wasn't quite able to do it. So he's there working at ground control while she's actually, you know, heading off into space. And I've got her daughter as well, and, you know, there's all the family trials and tribulations that go along. There's all the politics that take place within her small crew that are going to Mars. There's a bit of a coup in the first episode. And there's a thing with the show where you're watching it and every single performance in the show is really good. You've got Hilary Swank, and Swank's amazing. Josh Charles is very charming and like a great screen presence. Uh, the supporting cast, I wasn't really that familiar with any of them. But at the same time, they're all like quite genial and like enjoyable on screen. The storyline, as long as you take away like the like slightly sort of awkward thing of kind of a female astronaut have it all, if you take that away from it, like the rest of it actually works kind of well. Like the premise is fine, the execution of it's all very good, the production quality is amazing. The thing that's missing from it is any sense of like freshness. It just kind of feels like this is the greatest hits of all these sort of versions of similar shows that we've seen, particularly mm. over like the last year where we had the amazingly good show from Apple TV Plus uh, called For All Mankind which was kind of like an alternate history of the American space race and how it mixes in American culture and the progression of society and culture in line with what was happening in the space missions and how both have a role and took it off into an entirely different sort of timelines where we actually exist in. And that was really original. There was a new, fresh approach to that. But then you look at Away, which it ticks all the boxes, but the actual execution of the show it's a bit of a chore to watch, and it was really disappointing. Is it um, a victim of this, like, sort of, uh, you know, glut of space shows we've got at the moment? I'm just thinking of, you know, the other, just what we talked about last week, Raised by Wolves, which was great. Um, and, you know, 
not not exactly not a similar concept i guess but still still somewhat still somewhat there well it's about you know repopulating another planet i suppose and then you've got space force which did all the cool stuff on on the moon the much maligned space force which i'm the only fan of um the only person that i know maybe the only person in the world that watched every episode um and is hanging out for a second season look there was one great thing that came from space force which is the ben and jerry's tie and ice cream boots on the moon which is <laughs> a lot of delicious about space Force. but they um yeah like do you think it's a victim of all this other stuff had we not had all these other shows in the last 12 months would you be able to kind of get that would it be fresher i would say yes and no i would say that all of those shows are fairly high concept where this show while it's certainly high concept ish the family drama and interpersonal dynamics of all the characters that is really the crux of the program. All the space stuff is kind of bells and whistles around it. And when the show is just leaning so heavily into personal drama, that personal drama needs to be doing something remarkably special in order for it to really sort of fire off. So the executive producer of this is Jason, uh, Jason Kadams, who's done shows like Friday Night Lights. Uh, Parenthood is another show that he had recently. Oh, and yeah. both those shows, interpersonal dramas, but what made them work is the characters specifically and their interplay together and like he really is quite good at finding the magic within these characters and making them sing on screen. In this one, I think it's a really noble effort, but I don't think he really quite gets over the line. Like by the end of the first episode, I didn't feel that I was really so charmed by any of these characters that I want to spend more time with them. Instead, I just kind of felt that I'd seen their story before, even if I hadn't explicitly seen that story before. Was there, was it suspenseful? Was there tension? Was there, was there tension and release? Well, not really, because all the tension really comes from the interpersonal dynamics. And right. if they kind of feel like they're things that we've seen and experienced before, it really takes the air out of it all. So it's yeah. it's a show which should have been better, but it just doesn't quite work. And the thing is, not every show is amazing. And sometimes even the most noble of efforts don't quite work on screen. And this is certainly one of them. This is a show where I guarantee there is a fan base for the show. There will be people who are swept up in it all and connect to it in a very specific way but I don't think it has a broad range of connections for people to really be able to latch onto in the same way that Friday Night Lights did. And look, Friday Night Lights is probably a really good sort of counter, uh, counter discussion point to it, which lots of people saw Friday Night Lights and thought, I don't really care about football. I don't care about American football. I don't care about college or high school football. Yeah. Like there were lots of reasons why you wouldn't like that, but there was something about the way that the stories were executed, the relationship that the characters had, the actors who were cast in it, there's just something that kind of feels magic about it and pulls it together in a way where, you know, it's a bit of a crapshoot in terms of just like putting it on a page. This show, I think, probably had a lot more of a chance of success in that, as I said, it's got a really good, well-known cast for your main two leads. It just doesn't quite work. And it's a shame because I think that this really could have been something quite special, but it just doesn't quite get over the line. Do you think it has the potential to deal with these issues or do you think that they're too ingrained into how it's set up for them to be able to kind of get you to that point? I mean, I'm not going to find out because right. <laughs> thing, like, I, I just don't think we're in a TV environment anymore where you can like let characters grow and evolve over like five or six episodes before a show locks in. And look, some people may stick with it and say, oh, you know what, by episode eight, this actually really does sparkle in a way that, you know, we hadn't expected earlier. And if I start hearing that conversation, I'll come back to it. Sure. But, you know, well, I just don't think I'm going to hear that conversation. Am I going to like it, Dan? No. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> there are so many other shows well yeah, ahead yeah. of this that you really need to check out. And one of the things is that right now you have 11 seasons of Cheers, which are cropped up on Stan, and they are well and truly worthy of your attention. 
so there, Diana. I, I, I've got a pet little theory about that. Uh, you see, if you go back in history and uh, take every president, you'll find that the numerical value of each letter in their last name was equally divisible into the uh, year in which they were elected. <laughs> Uh, so who's going to win, Cliff? Uh, Reagan again? What, no, Mondale? No, no, not a chance. See, I figured it out. Uh, and by my calculations, uh, our next president has to be named Yelnik McWawa. That's the stupidest name I've ever heard. Cliff. Sam, please, you're talking about our next president. <laughs> okay, so cheers. I wanted to pick out that episode, well, that clip uh, specifically, because one, I think everyone except for Carla gets a line in there. But that clip, I think, really speaks to what it is that I really like about Cheers as a program, which is the small little conversational moments that happen within the bar at Cheers. And it's really not a show where you go watching it for the plot of the week by any means. It's really an excuse to hang out with these characters. And very quickly in this show, I think that each of these characters is incredibly endearing. And even the most annoying one, being Postman Cliff Clavin, you still love Cliff. Like, he's <laughs> awful and reminds you of every uncle that you've ever talked to at a barbecue. But at the same time, like, you're totally on board with him and you just want to spend time with each and every one of these characters. And it is certainly a series of relationships that, unlike the previous show, Away, this has 11 seasons and you're on board with these characters almost immediately and you stick with the majority of them for 11 years and by the time you hit the end of the 11th season, you kind of wish it could keep on going because these are characters that you just want to keep in your life as time goes on. I just realised that Cliff Clavin is QAnon. How interesting is that? <laughs> Can you That's imagine him these point. days? It would be. Fun. I mean, I find it interesting that just two weeks after I accused you of being Q on the show, <laughs> suddenly you're putting out all these other theories of who Q really is. Well played, would Chris. Be, Don't think we didn't notice what you're doing. Cliff would be so into all this stuff. He would be the online. He would have his own Alex Jones style channel. He would be telling people <laughs> all about the things that are happening in the world. Um, look, you're absolutely right. It's almost superfluous to wax on about how much I love cheers. Um, you know, you say that you want to have them around in your life forever after watching this show for 11 years. And you know, pretty, I pretty much have, like, I can't remember a time when I haven't had these shows at my ready, to, you know, at ready, just they're ready to go. I did actually get in trouble after it was about five years ago. No, no, probably more like eight years ago. I watched every episode in a row with my, partner who was you know a quite recent partner at the time and we had a lot more time on our hands to to do these kind of things it's a good bonding experience it really solidifies a relationship it was meant to be a bonding experience but uh didn't really didn't really go that way and i've been banned from watching cheers for a long time but no i mean i've always just kept with it there's some great stuff that um obviously the the, the best thing about having them all available now on stand is it's just or on a streaming services it's just so easy to be able to just go Damn, I want to watch the one where, um, you know, where Norm dressed a monkey up as a postman. Bam, you can watch that in two <laughs> minutes, you know. I want to watch, like, it, it's just, there's just so much, so much great stuff to dig in in here. You know, you played one from the, um, from the early seasons there um, with Coach. And I mean, gosh, it's just, 
so you know he was just such a fantastic character it, I, I still get a little bit sad when I hear him in a context like that. Um, it, it really had such a massive, yeah, really just had such a massive part of my life. And I'm, I'm so glad to be able to, to, to have it all with such access now and so gr glad for the people that haven't had the opportunity to, to digest it quite as much as we have. Yeah, so actually, like, I've been tweeting about it a little bit over the last few days, and I got a tweet back from a guy that I kind of half know through online and we know some people in common, but I've never actually met him IRL. Uh, but he was just saying that, look, I've never watched the show before, but, you know, I've heard so much about it over the years. You're talking about it really enthusiastically. So I actually went and watched a couple of episodes and he's on board. Like he's... Of course like, he's on board. <laughs> and this is the thing, like, I do feel that this is a show where, particularly at the moment, based on where I guess maybe fashions are and sort of cultural conversations happening, this show is actually really strongly in line with 2020 in a way that I don't think the show quite was over like the last five or 10 years there are a couple of aspects of the show which haven't really quite sort of aged as well. Uh, constant jokes about Sam being a sexual dynamo and the number of women that he beds. Like, that kind of rankles a little bit. Like, you're kind of willing to go with it because it's an older show and, you know, sexual politics have changed. But even so, like, you sort of hear the occasional line as like, ugh. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit gross sometimes. Outside of that, like, it all kind of works. And I think the reason for it is, in 1982 when the show launched, the show, it didn't start... Like, the main characters and aren't characters who are with the culture of the time. They're not necessarily people who are really engaged with what was happening in 1982. Every character in it is in their 30s or older and are people who, like, life has beaten them down. And the only thing they really have in their life is to hang out in this bar and to spend time with these people that are friends of theirs purely only for the fact that they see them night after night because they've all got crippling alcoholism. Like outside yes. <laughs> of that, there's no reason that they really should share this like strong bond, but they do. And it's always a bit sad when you think about the reality of Cheers as opposed to the fun, joyous, like relationship comedy that it is. But even so, like it's the fact that this is a show that doesn't celebrate life and vitality as much as it celebrates the idea of just getting on with your life and enjoying the little moments along the way. And, you know, the importance of community and people around you, especially when you're going through difficult times. Like, you know, it's a constant theme of the show is that somebody's having a big, um, you know, somebody's having an issue that they need to deal with, whether it's relationship, work, you know, nobody's rich in the show either, which is great. Like everybody's financial problems are very much front and center. Carla's, you know, trying to raise four kids um, or six kids. I can't remember how many. The most successful one is Sam, and like Sam loses the bar a whole bunch of times through the run of the show. That's like he right, doesn't have any yeah. money. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't have any money, and, and you know, and um, especially like when Kirstie Alley joins the show, when Rebecca joins the show, you know, she's this, she's like driven by this like, the '80s idea of wealth and success, and you know, but in in the but same even, way, even she gets beaten down within a few seasons of the show, and she just kind of accepts her lot in life. I know, and it's well, it was demonstrative of how hard you know, no matter how much you might have wanted to have that idea and you know have that sort of motivation that you know, getting there is not always just about wearing the power dress and doing the doing the things, stabbing people in the back like she like her character kind of does in the beginning until she does soften and those edges come out. So yeah, and also you know the pretenses of all the characters are quickly stripped away by the fact that they all spend so much time together and it's like you know you can't pretend you're somebody else when you're around these people all the time they they very quickly get to know you and get under your skin would it be fun can we talk a little bit about some of the other stuff so so you know this is a sh this show's got so much connection to to television around it both before and after we had the fantastic show taxi as a lead up to this show um 
I've always felt like Cheers kind of had a lot more, had more heart than Taxi. As great as Taxi was, and and how the excellent ensemble of the characters and stuff, um, I, I always felt like you know there was a little bit more levity with Sam than there was with um, Judd Hirsch's character. You know, Judd Hirsch's character was always a little bit dour and. And, and there was just something that, I mean, as much as I love Taxi, there's something, you know, and had Andy Kaufman for God's sake, but there's something about Cheers that works better. Do you think? It's because Cheers is less sad than Taxi is. Yeah. It's probably that simple, right? So I guess maybe two things here. Well, first of all, you got the opening like theme song where like, if you think about Angela theme from Taxi, like yeah. it's incredibly sad and really depressing. And I'm pretty sure that when you and I were first talking about the theme song for Always Be Watching, I pretty much said, can we have something as sad and depressing as Taxi? And I feel that you really came to the table and delivered. <laughs> Excellent, thanks. Uh, but then the other thing is, like, like Cheers, it's a place where everybody knows your name and it's about a place that you go to to be welcomed and accepted. Whereas the yeah. world of Taxi is very much, they have such little prospect in their life that they're working there as taxi drivers. And they're not really going to achieve their, like, failed dreams and ambitions. Like, one of them's an aspiring actor, the other one... Um, there's like an aspiring boxer in there and like these are people who like they're always going to be on the cusp of maybe being noticed by the world but will always return back to the terrible taxi depot to yeah. involve themselves in the next adventure like life's not going anywhere for those characters whereas in Cheers you've got characters who you've got people like say Frasier who's a therapist and yes he has some money and comes into it later in the show uh, but for the most part you've got characters who are just kind of getting by with like their lot in life but then they've just got this additional part of their lives which is what Cheers is yeah, and I guess another point to that too, like Taxi is strictly a workplace situational comedy. Like everyone that's in Taxi is working there. Whereas with Cheers, you've got half of the cast are in their workspace, but the other half mm. are there because of the leisure time and because they want to be there, which I think is interesting as well. Um, the only parts of, to... of Cheers that don't really quite ever work for me is when you've got episodes where the characters have some sort of personal family problem. So when Carla's family becomes a issue in the show... Like, I never really like those episodes very much. And, like, right. Coach's daughter, when she turns up, like, that never really quite feels right. And thankfully, you never really see the family members of the rest of them. Like, Frasier, <laughs> like, falls into a relationship with Lilith later in a series run. And, like, that's fine because she's kind of introduced through the thrust of the show. But yeah. anything that takes the characters away from the family unit that we see in the show to suddenly, like, show their actual families what they do outside of ours, I just don't want to see that. I don't, even, I don't even know if I can answer this question, but do you have a favourite era of Cheers? Look, I do. So, because uh, I think it's split into three eras of show. You've got mm -hmm. the initial era, which is with Coach, mm -hmm. and then uh, Nicholas Constellato passed away, and they introduced Woody Harrelson in as the character Woody. And then you've got that for a couple of years until Diane ends up leaving the show, and you've got Kirstie Alley coming in as Rebecca. Yep. My favorite era of the show is probably the Woody Boyd through to the end of Diane. Like, that's probably the chunk of the show that I enjoy the most. Like, Frasier comes into it at that point, and the show is pushing itself in, like, really... Un like, the show at that point should be just firing on all cylinders and just doing the same thing week in, week out. But they don't allow that to happen. They introduce a new character, Frasier. They upset the Sam-Diane relationship during that time, and they really do some things to break the show. And at no point do they ever break it, because it's got such a strong bond. Yeah, yeah. Her. And then after that, when Diane leaves, like Rebecca comes in and like that's a new element to the show. But I do think that the show from that point kind of just keeps on more or less doing the same thing. And they've kind of set themselves in stone by that point. And they don't really push into new directions in the way that they had been through what I think is like that gold period. You know, right until the very end when we get that awesome um, Woody Kelly stuff where Woody, obviously Woody Harrelson <laughs> got quite famous and they start really pushing him to the forefront of the stories. 
and um, the whole stuff with him and Kelly is just fantastic. And then you know Woody becoming a um, politician, and it's just just really really funny stuff. Very silly, but yeah, I know what you mean. Definitely, like there was that. There's definitely that period where it's just where it is just incredible. And as good as Coach, as good as Coach is, and and as obvious as Woody is meant to be a replacement for Coach, he's just. I mean, he's so good. Woody Harrison is just so <laughs> fantastic in this role. And like, like the show is kind of perfect, and then they just keep on making it more perfect. <sighs> God, we could just go on and on. Well, another thing I just really wanted to mention, you know, we've got all this great, there's so much great television of, of this era and of this kind of like uh, this ballpark on stand at the moment in Australia and the streaming service. Um, one of the other things we've got is Frasier. And when I, you know, we've both got different ideas about, well, we, I think we're both pretty much on the same page about Frasier in, in that, you know, there's some funny elements to it, but it definitely doesn't do the same things that Cheers does. And it's a totally different kind of show and it's of a different time. And, you know, those sitcoms of that period have dated very badly for the most part. But there was an excellent one you, you made me watch last night. I saw, I think it was season three, episode 14 of um, Frasier, where Diane... Yep, so it's called the, the one where Diane comes back. The one where Diane comes back. Not the first one where Diane comes back, but um, the first time she's there in the actual story as part of Frasier, I think you said there were some dream sequences before that where she's in. And... Um, Man, this is, I don't even really want to talk about what it is, but just like as an adjunct to Cheers, and if you're watching some Cheers and then you want to watch, and then you want to watch something else that's almost exactly Cheers, that this is a fantastic episode to do. And it, it was sort of, while I was watching it, you know, incidentally, I don't know if you noticed, but that episode was directed by James Burroughs. Like it was clearly a big deal yeah. when they were writing it. And, you know, they obviously, it would have been at about the height of Frasier's popularity, I'm guessing. Um, so this was a really, um, it, this is an amazing episode of television. And it's kind of like crafted in this way that is not, doesn't resemble a lot of the other Frasier stuff at all other than the kind of character cliches but the way that that worked I think was just so like it's just an incredible episode and it but mostly because of the legacy of Cheers like the bits that work really well on it are just like those bits that they just effortlessly are able to just latch onto because that is just so strong yeah and because Cheers was such a cultural phenomenon that when in the last eight minutes of that Frasier episode they just like lean completely into being a Cheers reunion of sorts yeah Suddenly yeah. the show, because everyone watching Frasier had been watching Cheers just a couple of years prior. So like everything was just so resonant. Where I'd say that anyone who hadn't watched Cheers before, but maybe just watched that Frasier episode, like it'd probably be fine, but I just don't think I'd really get it. No, no, I don't think so either. And, and, and you know, there'd be some elements of it that you'd be like, oh yeah, I see what they're trying to do there. It just wouldn't, it certainly wouldn't have the same kind of, um, no, it wouldn't have the same kind of gravity. The other thing I really wanted to mention quickly, Dan, is the other Cheers spinoff, of course. I'll be smart the Tortellis. <laughs> the Tortellis. <laughs> a show so, which I've never seen. I can't believe you haven't watched it. So the one thing you need to, the only thing you really need to know about the Tortellis is it's all on, um, it's all on uh, YouTube. Well, not all on YouTube, but there's enough, there's enough episodes that you won't want to watch anything more. But um, it's a spinoff of not Carla, but Carla's husband. And Played his by new Dan Hedaya. Uh, Dan Hedaya and, um, and his wife, uh, Loretta. Who's Jean Kaysen is her name. She's she and who were both in Cheers, of course, as um, you know, uh Dan Hedaya is in quite a few times as um Carla's lying, cheating, rotten ex-husband. Um, so the idea that they thought he was a good idea for a spin-off is just so crazy. But it's a thing that exists. <laughs> and every time I tell it to somebody that they haven't heard of it, it's like a bit of a light bulb moment. So I hope I'm getting through to just one person out there who will be able to get out there and go, oh my God, this is a real thing. Um, so yes, we couldn't be more excited about Cheers. We're going to try and work out a way to do to talk about Cheers every week in a more efficient in a more efficient way than this, but we haven't quite got there yet. Maybe send some suggestions to the um, always be watching communication lines. 
Yeah. But I will say, if you've never watched Cheers before, or if it's just like a very sort of distant memory in your life, go back and watch the first episode. Because while I think it takes a few minutes for the joy of the show to really sort of kick in, like there's enough good jokes at the beginning for totally. it not to be a chore. Like it's not like it's a struggle by any means. However, like everything that works about the program exists in that first episode. Wow. All the characters completely snap in from episode one. There's no growth that you need to get to. It's not like this character like kind of sucks at the beginning. And then after a few episodes, you're like, oh, wait, no, I actually really love this character. Like every single beat of this character is there from the first episode. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's excellent. Yeah. I can't wait to watch them all again. Everyone. Indeed. Them, which I will. I'm five episodes in and I'm just going to keep on powering through. <laughs> I started rewatching it last night. Anyway, Chris, we're going to really sort of quickly talk about the new Karate Kid infused TV show that was made for YouTube Premium, but a couple of years after nobody saw it on YouTube Premium, it's now there on Netflix and people are going gaga for Cobra Kai. Johnny Lawrence, I, I, I knew it was you. Holy, how the hell are you? Hey, man. <laughs> oh my god, look at you. You still got those golden locks, eh? God, this is crazy. How, how, how you been? Great, man, thanks. I've been great. That's great. It's, hey, hey, Anoush, come here. Louie, get over here. I want you to meet somebody. Go. No, 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 no. This is Johnny Lawrence. He and I go way back, right, buddy? This guy was the toughest dude in my high school. When I first moved here from Jersey, he and I we got into it a little bit. This guy really had it in for me. Yeah, well, you did move in on my girl. Well, she actually wasn't really a girl anymore, was she? I mean... Ah, all right, that's all water under the bridge. Wait, is this the karate guy? The guy from the tournament? Oh, this is the guy whose ass she kicked. Uh, listen, it was a really close match, but if you want to get technical, I kicked his face. Now, Chris, I never grew up with a karate kid. It was around, I just never watched it. Um, I did see it about a year or two ago. <clears throat> karate kid, it was fine. Uh, but this show, I actually really enjoy this. Uh, like, I think it holds up remarkably well. And even without a love for the Karate Kid, I quite like this. But do you want to explain what is Cobra Kai? Like, what's the deal? Okay, so Cobra Kai is a um, reinterpretation. No, it's not even a reinterpretation. It's basically a straight-up sequel to the Karate Kid set um, 20 years later where the um, defeated character that um, that Ralph Macchio's character... Um, I felt like you were going to butt in there and tell me what it was. Um, oh, no, I was going to say it's like 30 years. 30 years, of course, yes. Um, yeah. And it, this is a show that focuses on the guy, Charlie, that was defeated in the last film and picks up basically with him as a 40-year-old, not really in control of his life. He's a total loser. He's unbelievably hateable from the first minute, from the first few moments that he's in the show. But we are sort of dragged into his scenario and situation and we are looking at him trying to deal with life in this in this. Um, modern era where he's trying to get himself back on back on track uh, i just think that the main thing it's interesting talking about this in the same episode as bill and ted because i think very similar to bill and ted it's just so successful in a way that i really wasn't expecting like it actually it sounds like a great idea on paper it's one of those things that on paper you go like oh yeah this is a cool thing they're never going to pull this off and they're never going to make this look good you don't focus on the bad guy how is it going to be interesting from that perspective and it just really is like they set the tone of the show so well it's got a really 80s vibe to it without it being um retro and without it being actually set in the 80s and without them trying to dig too hard on that it's got um you know just the way it's filmed and stuff is just so straight up the way that these movies were made um the soundtrack's fantastic heaps of 80s hair metal and that kind of stuff and the score is kind of based around that as well but the way that it actually um tells the story 
in a way that I thought oh, I'm going to watch the first episode just for a laugh and there'll be heaps of the old Karate Kid stuff and I'll, I'll get a kick out of that. It was, it was absolutely no drama whatsoever to watch the second one and I had to pull myself away from watching the third one last night at midnight, which I'll definitely get on to as soon as I can. I think it's just done brilliantly well, Dan. Yeah, look, I like I, there's not much more I can really say to it. Uh, it's something which, again, because I've got no love for the Karate Kid, I went into it thinking, yeah, it's fine. But maybe the thing that I really sort of took away from it was that this sounds on paper like one of those projects you hear about where you're reading a like TV entertainment website and it's like these sort of TV shows yeah. where they shot a pilot for it and never went on to series. Totally. And you read that and go, that was such a great idea. It's a shame that that never happened. This is absolutely one of those shows which absolutely has happened. And I think that people are responding to it because it's it's kind of what people are really after when they hear about a sequel to a TV show. Totally. And I'm reminded of uh, The Mandalorian is a very successful TV show at the moment. And you've got the Star Wars movies, which have been less successful. And there's this great quote in Entertainment Weekly this week with, I think it's uh, John Favreau or uh, Dave Filoni, who's the other guy running the show. I th actually, I think it's Dave Filoni. He says that when we approached it, we didn't overthink it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. And I think it's the problem that most of these revival things have where it's like, oh, well, where is this character now? Like, what is it that, you know, makes them work for 2020? And it's like, well, you don't really need to overthink this. Essentially, you think, hey, look, this is a character where he was introduced as the bad guy. We look at it from his perspective, which is that he probably had a bit of a rough childhood growing up. And as a result of suffering the indignity of not winning this tournament as a 12-year-old, like his life just hasn't really gone well. He hasn't really had the confidence to really go forward. And let's see what he's up to now in life. And the show just kind of picks it up from there. And it works perfectly because it feels authentic and natural to what we'd expect. Yeah, and he's a real kind of, you know, he's a real kind of conservative character. He makes a joke about immigrants in the first, the very first line that he talks. Um, he's, he's, he's not a, this is not a, mod, he is not a modern character. You know, he is straight out of the 80s. He's somebody that grew up in that time and hasn't evolved. Yet there are other characters around already that are popping up in the first couple of episodes that really have that sort of, um, you know, that, that are modern characters and stuff. The other thing that's really interesting is that, you know, there was a big conspiracy, there was a big YouTube kind of discussion happening before this show was made about how, you know, if you break it down and look at it, look at the movie objectively, it's like Miyagi's actually the, um, you know, I mean, Daniel's actually the bat, you know, he's the bully. Like there's a lot of ways that you can see it where, in the, where Daniel through the, even just watching the eyes of the first movie. And this show really looks at that in some interesting ways and, you know, definitely delves into that side of it and explains how, this character that we're now seeing as the main character was affected by some of the things that happened in that and and how he was sort of treated when you take away the kind of Hollywood gleam of, you know, it's got to be this guy who's the winner and stuff. It's fantastic stuff. In the same way that Bill and Ted, when we were talking about the brother that didn't come back for the new movie, like this is the original cast. Like these are actors who we haven't seen on screen. Yeah. yeah but like they just thought, well, let's see if they're any good. And like Ralph Macchio is back. And Marcio still had a career slightly after Karate Kid, but it didn't really yeah. sort of, uh, bear any sort of fruit. But like the kid who played, what's the actual name of the character? I want to say it's like Zap, Zapka or something. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, it's been a couple of years since I've seen this. But like the kid, like he's back as an adult and like he's perfectly serviceable. Like he's not winning any awards anytime soon, but it tracks. Like this guy feels authentic and he is the character you expect him Absolutely. to be. Absolutely. It's very authentic. And that's the thing that I guess was so surprising about it. And the whole experience is, I felt very authentic. Like it's authentic to the original film and it's also like something that is modern enough to want to watch. And yeah, I'm really absolutely blown away by it, you know, considering my low expectations. So I can't wait to watch the rest of it. Yeah. Anyway, Chris, I reckon that probably brings us to the end. I've got some other TV shows I need to think about from years gone by. <laughs> 
this has been Always Be Watching. If you like this, check out our website, alwaysbewatching.com. There's a daily newsletter you can sign up to, which has TV and screen, culture news, which, you know, hits your inbox every freaking morning. There's a special edition Friday afternoon newsletter that comes out that has all the brand new TV shows and returning shows from the last week. And it's right there. It's just like one easy to scroll guide where you can read what the show's about. Check out a trailer if you're interested. So convenient. It tells you where to watch them. Like there's links. You just like click the link and then suddenly the show's right there for it's you. amazing. What a world we live in. It's just incredible. Like technology, Chris, how does this happen? <laughs> and you know how it happens? Because of my hard work making it happen. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> uh, but anyway, check out the newsletter. Check out the website. We've got various social media you can track down and follow. But most importantly... There's this podcast. If you like the podcast and you're on a platform that lets you leave comments and reviews and stuff, do that because it helps other people find the show. Helps people find about my good friend, co-host, Chris Yates, who, thank you very much. It's been another great week with you, sir. Thanks, Dan. It's been awesome. Folks, this has been Always Be Watching. My name, Dan Barrett, joined by my good buddy, Chris Yates. We'll be back next week talking about more TV shows and movies we've seen before and probably some new stuff as well.